He is. Amen? He is the timeless truth. You know, that song is very special to me because when I was ordained, that's the song I wanted sung. And the reason is because it is all about Him. It is all about Jesus Christ. And so, if you watched that video and you didn't understand it, then I want you to go home. And I want you to begin to read through each book of the Bible until you find that theme. And then you begin to realize it is Him. He is in every page of Scripture. Jesus is in every book of the Bible. A.W. Tozer said it this way, The Scriptures are in print what Christ is in, is in person. The inspired Word is like a faithful portrait of Christ. You can be perfectly free to go to your Bible with the assurance that you will find Christ everywhere in its pages. You know, there are some people who will say that the Bible is outdated. There are some people who say today that, you know, uh, the Old Testament is outdated, that we need to kind of get away from the Old Testament. I heard a mega church pastor say one time, we need to distance ourselves from the Old Testament because it's, we beyond, we're beyond that. But Jesus is on every page of the Scripture. And so if we distance ourselves from the Old Testament, we in essence distance ourselves from Christ. If we are to ignore the Bible, for example, we ignore Christ because He's on every page. If we drift away from Scripture, we are in essence drifting away from Christ because He is on every page. And so this morning I want us to talk about the timeless truth. And we're talking about the Bible and the Bible is the book for every nation. Would you agree for that? The Bible is not only a book for every nation, but it is the book for every generation. It is a timeless source. There's not a time or place where the Bible doesn't apply because the Bible is a timeless truth. You know, in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so... Uh, this morning, I want us to talk about uh, the timeless truth. And we're in a series entitled Generations. And we're preparing for our anniversary on October 17th. And what I, one thing I will say is that if this church is going to endure from generation to generation, it must be founded on the Word of Christ. It must be founded on Scripture. And so I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of a church that has always been, has a heritage of being a Bible-believing, a Bible-teaching and a Bible-preaching church. And I hope that you are thankful for that kind of church. You know, one of our core values, if you were to go back and look up our core values, one of our core values says this. We value the Bible as our sole authority, believing it to be the inerrant Word of God. And so if a church is going to endure from generation to generation, it must be built on that foundation. You know, Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 7. He said, you know, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, he is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And when the rain descended and when the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And let me just say, there's a lot of things blowing and beating on the church today. And it will not stand if it's not built on the rock. But then Jesus said, but... Uh, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain descended, and when the floods came, and when the winds blew, it beat on that house, and it fell. And then Jesus said, and great was its fall. And there are a lot of people who have fallen because they've distanced themselves from Scripture. There are a lot of churches who have fallen because they have distanced themselves from God's timeless truth. 
And so I want you to look in 2 Timothy this morning in chapter 3. And I want us to consider some things about this timeless truth that you hold in your hands. Can you imagine? You hold the timeless word of God in your hands this morning. That's amazing. Now Paul, he wrote this particular letter. He's a seasoned missionary. He wrote to his young protege, Timothy. And uh, Paul was at the end of his life and he's given Timothy some last-minute instruction before he he knows his time is, is coming to an end. And this is what he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped or thoroughly furnished for every good work, Now, I want you to notice a few things about the Bible. Number one, the Bible is God's objective word of truth. The Bible is God's objective word of truth. It's absolute. It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. It's true regardless of what I believe or think about the Bible. It is His objective reality. In verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, A.T. Robertson He said, we know that it's it's inspired Word of God. And one of the greatest evidences that it's inspired inspired by God is it has withstood so much poor preaching. I would agree. You know, I heard about one preacher who preached a good sermon one Sunday, and he was kind of excited about it. The next morning he was sitting with his wife. They were drinking coffee, and he said, kind of leaned back in his chair. He said, you know, there aren't many great preachers left in this world, are there? And she said... No, darling, there's not. And there's one less than you think. (laughs) Well, the the phrase, inspiration of God, is just one word in the Greek. It takes three English words to say it, but it's one word in the Greek, and it's theopneustros. And it means God breathed. The Bible is God breathed. In Psalm 33, 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them, by the, breath of his, God, by the breath of his mouth, God breathed this world into existence. And then the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that he breathed scripture into being. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I walked down the beach and I was looking for one of those conch shells. You know what a conch shell is? So it's that big shell that you put up to your ear so you can hear the ocean. And when you hear, you know, you put your ear to that conch shell, you can hear the breath of the ocean in that shell. But when you pick up the Word of God and you read it, you hear the breath of God. And He speaks to you through His Word. Now, the Bible is the objective Word of God to us. And I'll just say, I don't have the authority to change it. I don't have the authority to redirect it. In in 2 Timothy 4, 3, Paul said this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. I don't have the authority to change Scripture. That's above my pay grade. God didn't hire me to do that. He didn't call me to do that. He called me to proclaim His Word. 
I don't have the authority to change it, to tickle ears. God's word is objective. It's absolute. It's unchanging. It's everlasting. But you know, the devil always has a way of twisting God's words, doesn't he? I mean, the very first recorded words we have of Satan, he's saying this. Has God said? He always creates doubt about God's word, doesn't he? I mean, he's still doing the same thing today. He would say to you today, he would say, has God said that marriage is only between a man and a woman? Has God said that there are only two genders? Has God said that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Has God said? He's still planting those seeds of doubt today. And maybe you have some doubts about God's word. I want to show you some things about God's objective word. Number one, God's objective word is perfect. It is perfect. All scriptures God breathes. Now we believe in what we call the plenary inspiration of God. Now plenary is a theological term that we use. It just means all of it. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is God's inspired word, infallible, inerrant word of God. From cover to cover. So Genesis 1.1 is just as inspired as John 3.16. If you do not believe, Genesis 1, that God spoke this world into existence, how can you believe John 3.16 that says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life? Because he inspired both of them. Now we believe that the Bible is plenarily inspired. It's inspired from cover to cover. You might even say it's inspired from the index to the maps. I don't know. But it's inspired from Genesis to Revelation. We also believe that the Bible is verbally inspired. Now, it's not just the thoughts of God that are, are, are inspired. Some people say it was just the thought that God inspired. No, he in, inspired the very words that you read. Because the way you express a thought is by words. And so he inspired the words. Now, you might say, well, but men wrote the Bible. Well, that yes, they did write the Bible, but they did it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God inspired men to write the Bible. So it's fair to say that God wrote the Bible. But it's also fair to say that men wrote the Bible because it has a dual authorship. God used men to write the Bible. You say, but how could he do that? I mean, all these men had different education levels. They had different vocabulary. They had different personalities. And you can kind of see that come through the scriptures, can't you? Well, of course we do. But God used their ability. He used their own vocabulary. He used their own personality to be able to orchestrate the Bible so it's exactly the words that he wanted. Let, let me give you an example. John Bryant. John plays, he plays guitar. John Bryant also plays the drums. John Bryant also can play the piano, and we've seen him play all three of those when he comes. Now, all those instruments are different and have different abilities, different sounds. But one musician, that's how God orchestrates his word. He uses different instruments, they're different abilities, but it's the same God behind them breathing his life into what he wanted them to write. So we have many instruments. These men were instruments, but God was the musician. Now I could talk to you about how tight unity, a tight of a unity the Bible is. I mean, it was written over a 1,500 year span of time. It was written on three different continents, written by 40 different men from various walks of life, including shepherds, 
kings, prophets, farmers, fishermen, you know, Dr. Luke. I mean, people from all walks of life. But you know what's amazing is they have a universal agreement about the most controversial topics that you can find. They are unified. We can't put four people in one room and have them agree about what color to paint the walls. But here we have 40 people from different walks of life who have a unified message in the gospel. The gospel is a perfect book. You know the Bible is also scientific. Now people say the Bible is anti-science. No. Now the Bible is not a science book. Let me just make that point. That's not its purpose. But when it speaks about scientific things, it is accurate. You say, okay, I don't understand that. Well, the Bible doesn't make any outlandish claims. It doesn't say that the earth is flat. The Bible doesn't say the earth's flat. Did you know that the Bible doesn't say that gender can be fluid? The Bible doesn't make that claim. The Bible is scientifically accurate. I mean, the Bible says there's male and female. Now, they didn't have the DNA to verify that when they wrote that back in Scripture. They didn't have the, the, the genetic code. They didn't have the understanding of chromosomes. But we know scientifically, if you have an, two X chromosomes, you will be a female. If you have an XY chromosome, then you will be a male. Just two genders. Now, I say that knowing that there are some people who genuinely struggle with their identity. I, I realize that. But we do have objective truth, objective facts about who we are. And the Bible is consistent with what we know about scientific uh, research. Now, I could give you a lot more examples, but I need to move on. The Bible is also historic. The Bible includes historical dates, places, and names. You know, if you were making up a story, you wouldn't include names, dates, and places that could be verified. But the Bible includes all of those things because it can be verified. It can be tested. And there have been a lot of skeptics through the years who have tried to disprove the Bible and said it was not historically accurate. One of those was a man by the name of Josh McDowell. You might have heard the name. He tried to prove that the Bible was full of errors and not consistent, not accurate. After trying to do that, this is what he said. After trying to shatter the historicity and the validity of Scripture, I came to the conclusion that it is historically trustworthy. He wrote some books, and one of them was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He wrote another one called A Ready Defense. The man who doubted the scripture now is the proponent of it. He is the defender of it. Now, I don't have time to talk about all the historical evidence for the Bible. There's many, many things that we could talk about. I'll just mention one. You know, a few years ago, there were some critics who said the Bible cannot be trusted because there's nobody named Pontius Pilate. Uh, we don't have any evidence that Pontius Pilate has ever lived, the man who condemned Jesus to death. We have no evidence that the man even lived. And the Bible mentions him. But in 1961... They were digging and excavating there at Caesarea. That was King Herod's city by the sea. They were digging there in that city, and they unearthed a stone. And on that stone, there was an inscription. And it was inscribed to Pontius Pilate. Now, that stone had been buried there since about 26 to 39 A.D. For about almost 2,000 years. Now, what would have happened had that stone never been uncovered? the Bible would still just, would be just as true, wouldn't it? It would still be true. You know, another critic of the Bible said that, you know, the Bible can't be true because apples don't grow in the Mesopotamian Valley where the Garden of Eden was located. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve, you know, ate of an apple in the Garden of Eden. And I just want to say something to you. Do not show your ignorance. The Bible never says that Adam and Eve ate an apple. It says they ate a fruit. 
And we need to know the truth of the scripture because the Bible is accurate in its, its historical account. Now, I know y'all, some of y'all are going to go test me on that. But the Bible never says an apple. I know that there's a computer that's named Apple, and people think that that's what that bite out of it means. But that's not correct. The Bible is also prophetic. It's perfect. It's scientific. It's historic. But it's also prophetic. I mean, the fulfilled prophecy could be the greatest reason why we believe this Bible to be true. And do you believe the Bible to be true? I mean, the number of fulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament is absolutely staggering. I mean, there were prophecies about Jesus, Jesus' birth. There were prophecies about Jesus' crucifixion that were written 1,000 to 750 years before he was ever physically born on this earth. That's pretty impressive. And I heard someone describe how critics will say Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. A critic will say, well, you know, Jesus just arranged to have those prophecies fulfilled so that it would look like he was the Messiah. And so this person said, well, do you think that Jesus arranged his own birth so that he would be born in Bethlehem, according to the prophet of of Malachi or Micah? Do you think that Jesus arranged to be born a virgin according to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7.14? Do you think that Jesus arranged for the Roman soldiers to nail him to a cross and to fulfill the prophecy in Psalm 22? Now, you may have never even read Psalm 22 or paid attention to it. But if you were to go back and read Psalm 22 that was written about a thousand years before Jesus ever walked this earth, you would think you were reading one of the gospel accounts. In Psalm twenty-two sixteen, it says this, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet a thousand years before Roman crucifixion was even invented. In Psalm twenty-two eighteen, it says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Do you believe that Jesus orchestrated these Roman soldiers to crucify him and then cast lots for his garments? Well, as a matter of fact, he did. He did arrange for it, but he did it before he was born. Nobody arranges their birth. Only Jesus could do that. He arranged it. And fulfilled prophecies why we know the Bible is God's timeless truth. So the Bible is God's objective truth, but it's also his effective word of truth. Effective word of truth. The book will affect you if you read it and apply it to your life. In 2 Timothy, I love this verse, 2 Timothy 3.15, says that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know what the purpose of this book is? The purpose of the book is to lead you to faith in Christ. That's the purpose of the Bible. And when God saves you, He changes you. He changes your heart. His Word will affect you. You know, salvation is so simple that a child can grasp it. That's what it says right here. It says that Timothy knew the Scriptures from childhood, which were able to make him wise for salvation. I'm so thankful for our young parents who want to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm so thankful that they want to seed their children with the Gospel. I'm so thankful for our people in our church who work with children and preschoolers, and they are seeding them with the gospel of Christ, knowing this, that from childhood you've known the scriptures. How important is that? John 20, verse 31, John said this, These things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have a life in His name. Nobody is ever saved 
apart from God's Word. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Nobody's saved apart from Scripture. Now, the Bible is an amazing book. One person said it like this. They said, The Bible is like a pool. It's shallow enough that a child can get a drink of water without drowning, but so deep that scholars can swim in it and never touch the bottom. Isn't that true? You know, the Bible's plan of salvation is very simple. So simple that a child can understand it, but so profound that it confuses the wise. But all you need to know to be saved is that you're a great sinner and Jesus is a great Savior. That's all you need to know. But you know, I appreciate how God inspired His Word. Did you know that when God had His eternal Word written in the New Testament, that He had it recorded in Koine Greek? Koine Greek means common. It means the common language. You know, you had classical Greek, that was for the educated, that was for the intellectuals. And then you had the Koine Greek, that was, that was like the street language. That was the vernacular, that was the common man's uh, language. That was for the working man, that was for the, the peasant, that was for the uneducated. Why do you think God wanted His Word written in Koine Greek, in the common language? Why do you think God wanted His Word to be recorded in the vernacular, in the street language? Why do you think He did that? So that we could understand it. And so that we could accept it. He wanted everybody to grasp the gospel. And the gospel is for all of us. This word is simple yet profound. But it will change you from the inside out. And I want to tell you, when I was a student at the University of South Carolina, I grew up in church for the most part. I had a mentor named Coach Bull Lee. Y'all have heard me talk about him. But the transformation took place when I was at the University of South Carolina. And I went there for an education, by the way, not the football program, just for the record. But when I was there, I decided to read the Bible. I wasn't going to church. Nobody was encouraging me. But I began to read the Bible, not because it was a discipline. I began to read the Bible because I want to know, is there hope in this Bible? I began to read the Bible because I wanted to know, can God forgive somebody like me? Can God save somebody like me? And I began to read the Bible, and I started in the Gospel of John. And by the time I got to Luke chapter 15, I began to realize that the love of God is profound. Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And you know what I found out? The more I read the Bible, the more God began to transform me. Because this word is effective. It will change you from the inside out if you will let it. Now you might be thinking, you know, well, Jamie, I don't, I don't see you looking too much like Jesus. Well, you didn't know what I was like before. I'm under construction. But so are you. We're under construction. Now, God's word is the objective word of truth. It's the effective word of truth. But it's also the instructive word of truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. You know what that word doctrine means? It simply means teaching. It simply means instruction. God's word is instruction to tell us what's right and to tell us what's wrong. It tells us how to live in this world. It gives us instruction for life. I like how Jesus put it in Matthew 4.4. 4. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what we live off of. It's instructive. 
You know, Martin Luther was a man who lived in the 15th century. And he began to challenge the Catholic Church because when he began to read the Scripture, he began to realize how far the Catholic Church had drifted from the doctrines of the Bible. And so he began to confront them. I mean, they believed things like you had to be baptized to be saved. Now, we, we get baptized because we're saved, not to get saved. They began to believe things like this. If you wanted to get a pardon, you could just pay the church. You just give money to the church and they could pardon you. Like, let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, you just want to punch somebody out. You could just go to the Catholic church and pay for an indulgence and you could be free, but, I mean, forgiven even before you did it. I mean, it was like a pardon. It was like an indulgence. And so Martin Luther began to realize how far those things were to the Scriptures, and he began to write some things to correct those teachings. He wanted to bring the church back into alignment with Scripture. Well, the Catholic Church didn't really like Martin Luther's approach. And so they called Martin Luther to come to a trial at the Diet of Worms on April 18, 1521. Martin Luther stood before this Catholic court And he was told to recant all the things he had written about the church's teachings. And if he didn't, he knew he was under the threat of death. This is what Martin Luther said. And I hope this is your statement as well. Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason and not by popes and councils who have often contradicted themselves, I will not and cannot recant. He said, my conscience is captive to the word of God, and to deny one's conscience is neither safe nor just. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me, amen. I don't know about you, but that's a a bold statement. And that ought to be the statement for you, and it ought to be the statement for me, that we live on the doctrines of God's word. You know that we have the word Protestant. You know where Protestant comes from? It comes from the word protestant. And Martin Luther was protesting the false doctrines of the Catholic Church at that time. And so they were Protestants. And so where do we get Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals? From the Protestants called the Protestant Reformation. And we ought to be thankful that they wanted to bring the, the doctrine, the church, back into alignment with Scripture. You know, the God's Word is the objective Word of Truth. It's the effective Word of Truth. It's the instructive Word of Truth. But it's also the effective Word of Truth. Listen to what it says in verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine and for reproof. Do you know what that word reproof means? It means to expose your sin. It means to expose your error. It exposes you when you're wrong, and that's exactly what the Bible does. It confronts us when we're wrong. It calls us out. It confronts us with our sin. It confronts us with wrong beliefs. And wrong behavior. I heard, I heard someone say, well, men don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. Isn't that true? The Bible is so effective in diagnosing who we are. Hebrews 4.12 put it this way. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. You can't hide from the word of God. You can't outsmart the word of God. You can't, you can't outbluff the word of God. You can't find a, a loophole in the word of God. It is living and powerful and can discern not only your thoughts, 
but the intents of your heart, the motivations of your heart. God's word is confrontational. It confronts us in our motivations. Now, I can look at you and see what you do. I can see how you act, but I can't see the motivation of your heart. But the Bible does. And it discerns not only what you do, not only what you think, but why you do it, the motivations of your heart. You know, sometimes people get mad at a preacher for preaching the word, but really, what they're really upset about is that God's word found them out. That God's word exposed them. So the Bible is the effective word of God. It diagnoses us. It's effective in telling us what's wrong with us. But you know, the Bible is also the corrective word of God. It, it not only tells us what's wrong, but it also tells us how to get right. In verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. You know, that the Greek word for correction means... Um, to, to bring it back in alignment. You know, the word that we get orthopedist comes from that word correction. You know what an orthopedist does? You know, you break your arm. What, what does an orthopedist do? He sets it back, doesn't he? He puts it back in alignment. And that's what God's word does for us. When we get out of alignment, it brings us back into alignment with his word and with him. And when we get broken and we get trapped by sin, when we get out of alignment, God's word will correct us. It'll, it'll bring us back into alignment. I love Psalm 119.9. How can a young man cleanse his way? How can he? By taking heed according to your word. You know, a lot of people don't get back in alignment because they ignore God's word. God's word is the very source that brings us back into alignment. How can a young man cleanse his way? How can you overcome a pornography addiction? How can you overcome bitterness in your heart? How can you uh, learn to forgive somebody by taking heed according to his word? Let me ask you this. Are you trapped in a sin? Are you trapped? Are you reading God's word? Are you, are, you, are you obeying it when God teaches you something? You know, it's not just enough to know God's word, but we have to apply it if we want to be set free. So God's word is the objective word of God. It's true whether I believe it or not. God's word is the effective word of God. It tra- changes us from the inside out. God's word is the instructive word of God. It teaches us right from wrong. God's Word is the effective Word of God. It diagnoses our sin with pinpoint accuracy. God's Word is the corrective Word of God. It brings us back into alignment. I want to give you one last thought. God's Word is the protective Word of God. It protects us. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, And for instruction in righteousness. You know, instruction in righteousness means it tells a believer how to live for Christ. It tells a believer how to live holy. It tells a believer how not to be polluted by sin. The Spirit of God uses His Word like a cleansing agent. It equips us for righteousness. God's Word is like like an antioxidant that keeps the pollutants out. Y'all know that blueberries are an antioxidant? Don't you love blueberries? Well, God's word is like the blueberries for the soul. It's an antioxidant for the soul. And maybe I can use this illustration you, you can relate to. God's word is like a vaccine that immunizes you against sin. Now, I'm not saying that when you get saved, you won't sin anymore. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is 
That this book will protect you from habitual sin. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Psalm 119.11 says, and y'all know this, we teach our children this. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. This book is protective. And I want to give you a couple of other verses to consider when you think about God's protective word. Psalm 18.30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of God is what? Proven. He is a shield to all who trust Him. Protective. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. It's protective. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you believe that every word of the Bible is true? Let me see. That's a lot of you. Amen. How many of you believe that everything you read on social media is true? What happened? Let me ask you a question. When you have an opportunity to spend time and fill your mind with something to read, do you spend more time on social media than you do with the Word of God that you know is true? Where do you put your time? What would happen in my life and your life if instead of looking through 500 channels trying to find something to watch, I begin to use that time to immerse myself in God's Word, to hide it in my heart, to benefit from what it teaches? I want to ask you this morning, would you make a commitment to begin to read the Bible if you're not already doing it every day? To immerse yourself in Scripture every day. And not read it as a discipline, but read it as, I want God to transform my heart. And when you begin to read the Word, say, God, show me where I need to be different. Show me where I need to change. Would you help me to be transformed into your likeness? Read the Bible with that heart in mind. I think it'll change the way you read the Bible. And I think it'll change you when you read the Bible that way. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you, would you make a commitment to read the Bible and ask God to change your heart? Would you make a commitment to read God's Word and ask Him to make you look more like Jesus? God's timeless truth. You can put it in your hand, or you can put it on a shelf. You can put it in your heart, or you can put it on a shelf. What will you do with God's timeless truth? I want to pray for us, and I want to ask you to respond how God leads you. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that when I was searching for hope in a college dorm room, you brought me back to the word of God. Thank you for giving me the source of hope. Thank you that you rescued me. Thank you that you've changed me and you are changing me. Lord, I pray I would never deviate. I would never disregard it. I would never drift from your inerrant, infallible, inspired word, your timeless truth. And Lord, I want you to help me to be more diligent about filling my heart and mind with your word that I know to be true. And Lord, there are others here, I think, think maybe in the same boat. They just need to be surrendered so that they will spend more time in your word I just pray you help us to respond and be obedient and commit. 
And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To every question.